The Legal Underground Podcast, Episode 35. On today's show, commentary about the $253 million verdict against Merck in a Texas Vioxx case, and my thoughts about the possibility of a Merck bankruptcy. This is the Legal Underground Podcast, hosted by Evan Schaefer, one of the friendliest trial lawyers you're ever likely to meet, but hopefully won't have to. And now, here's Evan Schaefer. Hello, podcasting friends. It's Evan Schaefer. Today, I'm going to begin the show right where I should, at the beginning, by getting into the news about last week's Vioxx verdict against Merck right now. About five years ago, when the first wave of diet drug cases against giant pharmaceutical company American Home Products, now called Wyeth, were being resolved, and Wyeth was paying out the first settlements to claimants in a matter that has now surpassed $21 billion in claims, plaintiff's lawyers had a saying, which was this, there'll never be another mass tort case like the diet drug litigation. I might have said it myself a time or two and I certainly thought that it seemed like a safe prediction. But after Friday's verdict in Texas, when pharmaceutical company Merck was hit with a $253 million verdict in the first of thousands of cases already filed against it, many commentators have questioned whether Merck's Vioxx litigation is heading in exactly the same direction as the Wyeth diet drug case. No doubt, the August 19th verdict against Merck was astonishing and unexpected, in a case which many commentators said would be hard for the plaintiffs to win. Of the commentary that has appeared since then, two of the more interesting items have been an article in the New York Times titled, For Merck, The Vioxx Paper Trail Won't Go Away, and a short weblog post by Stephen Bainbridge, a corporate law professor at UCLA. I'll talk about both of these items in just a few moments when I come back after a short musical interlude. Sunday morning I felt the parade Someone leaving in the world today I looked low, I looked high I only missed one friend Before I go, I look high again So I went looking up in heaven But you wasn't anywhere in sight Welcome back to the Legal Underground Podcast. Before we explore the news about the Vioxx verdict, let me introduce myself. I'm Evan Schaefer, a lawyer who practices primarily in the areas of class action and mass tort litigation, including Vioxx litigation, on the plaintiff's side. I'm coming to you today from somewhere near St. Louis, Missouri. What's this podcast about? It's a sort of radio version of one of my weblogs, Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground, and what I do is pick a few topics every week or two that interest me, And I talk about them for a while with the goal of keeping the entire show fairly short, 10 or 15 minutes. I've been at it with various different formats since January, and I suppose I'll keep it going as long as people keep listening. The more the merrier, of course. So if you like the show, I encourage you to subscribe for free from the iTunes Music Store and to tell a few of your friends about it. Now, back to the Texas Vioxx verdict. The trial involved a man named Robert Ernst, who died in May 2001 after taking Vioxx a painkiller made by Merck. Ernst's family was suing for wrongful death. The trial began with jury selection on July 11th and continued until August 19th. Merck defended the case in part with an argument that Robert Ernst died of a heart arrhythmia caused by clogged arteries. 
that his death, in other words, had nothing to do with Vioxx. The total verdict against Merck was $253.4 million, which included $229 million in punitive damages. The punitive portion of the award will undoubtedly be reduced. That's because under Texas law, there's a limitation on how large a punitive award can be. That amount, in turn, is tied to how much economic damages the plaintiff received. At the end of the day, the punitive damage portion of the award will probably be reduced to somewhere between $2 million and $50 million. That calculation is based on an analysis I saw at the Point of Law weblog. I should add, of course, that Merck plans to appeal the verdict. In the New York Times, there was an interesting article about the case titled, For Merck, the Vioxx paper trail won't go away. When plaintiff's lawyers said five years ago that there'll never be another mass tort like the diet drug litigation, like I mentioned at the top of the show, what they meant was this. In the diet drug litigation, there were lots and lots of documents that made Wyeth look incredibly bad in the eyes of juries, and it just didn't seem possible that a drug company would ever again leave a paper trail that put it in such a negative light, a light that suggested to some that Wyeth was much more interested in corporate profits than in warning consumers about all the risks of its drugs. Would it ever happen again? The case against Merck suggests that it has. According to the Times article, quote, In the courtroom immediately after the verdict, a reporter asked Mr. Lanier, he was the lead trial lawyer for the plaintiffs, how he had won the case. The documents, he replied, the documents tell the truth. The article continues, quote, Mr. Lanier offered jurors a trove of company documents and email messages that revealed how Merck researched Vioxx heart risks and presented what it knew to doctors and consumers. The documents show that scientists at Merck were worried about Vioxx's potential cardiovascular risk as early as 1997, two years before Merck began selling the drug. In addition, according to the Times article, the documents revealed that Merck had, quote, stridently resisted the FDA's efforts to add warnings to Vioxx's label, and that it eventually complied only in ways that the Texas jury found unacceptably obscure. Why would Merck do that? To sell more Vioxx, of course. That's one implication, in any case. There's plenty more about the documents in the article, which I recommend to you. The point is this. Discovery in the Vioxx case is continuing and plaintiff's lawyers are still pouring over millions of Vioxx documents. As a result, the story is just going to get worse for Merck, and those documents are going to follow it around in every case that goes to trial. So when people tell you that the Vioxx litigation is about the greed of trial lawyers, as I've been reading on a lot of weblogs, tell them, no, this case is about the greed of a particular corporation who wanted to put profits before safety. That's my opinion anyway. As Mark Lanier put it, the documents tell the truth. Meanwhile, those lawyers like me who predicted there might never be another mass tort case like the diet drug litigation, well, it seems that we were wrong. When I return in a moment, I'll discuss more commentary about the Vioxx verdict, specifically the possibility that Merck might declare bankruptcy.
Welcome back to the Legal Underground Podcast. Another interesting bit of commentary about the BIAX verdict was from Stephen Bainbridge, a corporate law professor at UCLA, who had this to say, quote, Drug giant Merck lost the first of 4,000-odd BIAX suits pending against it. The odds that Merck eventually ends up pulling a John's Manville and resolving these cases via bankruptcy reorganization just went up. A lot. Hmm, bankruptcy. That would be bad news for victims of Vioxx, because bankruptcy would immediately stop the litigation against Merck. It would mean that the claims would be settled during a bankruptcy reorganization for far less than they are worth. But is bankruptcy really a possibility? When Professor Bainbridge says Merck might, quote, pull a John's Manville, he's referring to a time about 25 years ago, specifically August 25, 1982, when corporate giant John's Manville filed a Chapter 11 bankruptcy petition as a way of dealing with its ever-increasing asbestos liabilities. At the time of the filing, it was the richest and healthiest American corporation ever to take advantage of the bankruptcy laws. So when Professor Bainbridge says, pull a John's Manville, I think what he means is this. An attempt by a corporation that's pretty much financially healthy to use the bankruptcy laws as a litigation maneuver, as a way of skirting or dodging its legal liabilities. Would Merck do this? Could it do it? I don't think so. First of all, the John's Manville analogy doesn't quite hold up. While Manville was the healthiest corporation ever to take advantage of the bankruptcy laws, it still had problems, and those problems were far worse than what Merck is dealing with now. At the time of its bankruptcy filing, juries had found John's Manville liable for punitive damages in 10 separate cases that had been tried in 1981 and 1982. Merck, by contrast, has lost only one trial, and that one trial is simply not enough of a sample to determine Merck's per-claim liability. John's Manville also had other money troubles. At the time of its bankruptcy filing, it was considering booking a reserve as a result of its asbestos problems that would have triggered default on a $450 million debt, which could have forced a partial liquidation of the company. Merck, by contrast, has no such money troubles. The second reason I don't think Merck will declare bankruptcy is because it knows that courts wouldn't allow it. It's true that courts have allowed companies to seek the protection of bankruptcy when faced with pending litigation that posed a serious threat to the company's long-term viability, as one Third Circuit Court of Appeals court has said. But there's a good-faith component to a bankruptcy filing, and Merck wouldn't meet the standard. It would need to show, according to court cases, a cash flow problem which prevented it from meeting its current obligations, compounded by an inability to obtain financing. These things, Merck won't be able to show. That's why I don't think a Merck bankruptcy, whether justified or not, is in the cards. Another consideration is that other large pharmaceutical companies have found their way out of litigation quagmires without seeking bankruptcy. For example, Wyeth, which has paid about $21 billion for its FenFen problems, and Bayer, which has paid over a billion to settle Baycall claims. For Merck to say that it is going to do what Wyeth and Bayer didn't have to do, it just wouldn't be believable. Meanwhile, according to a Merck witness at the Texas trial, Merck is still thinking about ways of bringing Vioxx back on the market. I don't think that's going to happen either for many reasons, but it would be inconsistent for Merck to say on the one hand, this drug is so bad that it's forcing us into bankruptcy, and on the other, we want to continue selling it anyway. Stranger things have happened, I suppose, but I'm confident they aren't going to happen in the case of Merck and Vioxx. And that, my podcasting friends, is all I have for today. Some of the facts for today's show were from a July 1st, 1985, 
New Yorker article by Paul Burdor about the Johns Manville bankruptcy, an article that, believe it or not, I had in a stack of magazines in the basement. Whether you agree or disagree with my conclusions, I'd like to know, so please give me your feedback, which is always welcome, and which I might share on the next show. You'll find my email address on my web blog, Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground, at legalunderground.com. Some of the music today, including My Fair Lady by David Byrne, was from the Wired CD, which was issued under a Creative Commons license. Next week, look forward to some tips for law students who want to get ahead, and perhaps a prayer for trial lawyers. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in, and please stay subscribed. This has been the Legal Underground Podcast. For more legal education, visit Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground at legalunderground.com. When it doesn't nauseate, it always entertains.